it's a scary time for a lot of folks, but I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for, for CPAs who kind of have that future focus and are positioning themselves now to do the things that machines won't, won't be able to do. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 25 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Bill Sheridan, who's the Chief Information Slash Communication Officer at the Maryland Association of CPAs. On Bill's LinkedIn page, he describes himself as a communicator, writer, blogger, author, speaker, and one of accounting today's 100 most influential people in the accounting profession which is very impressive because he's not a CPA or an accountant. Our discussion tackles two important topics, technology and social media. The conversation about technology focuses on how technology has rapidly changed over the years. We discuss Moore's Law, which states that technology will double every 18 to 24 months, and then tie that into the discussion about the book, The Future of the Professions, by Daniel and Richard Susskind. And the discussion leads itself into how technology will change the accounting profession. I had not read The Future of the Professions until Bill referenced it in our interview. I recently finished it, and I highly recommend this book. The conversation about social media focuses on content creation, which starts with the discussion about the Maryland Association of CPAs blogs. Once the blog is completed and posted, then they chunk the content into smaller bites and deliver the information through a variety of social media channels, such as Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Bill discusses how social media allows us to follow individuals that provide us with important, thought-provoking content, which extends our learning, which I like to refer to as L-cubed, lifelong learning. My thoughts along both of these topics are in line with Bill's. We do have similar ideas about the future of the accounting profession. He has a lot of passion around these issues, and so do I. Now, one of my goals with this podcast is that it will help you begin to make changes in your work and personal life so you can better connect with others and create meaningful business relationships. Many people have said it takes 21 days to start a habit, but a lifetime to keep that pattern. That's why I created the Yes and Challenge to help keep these principles in front of you so that you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the Yes and Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag Yes and Challenge. Now, if you're unsure of what the YesN Challenge is all about, I discuss it in greater detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Now, the holiday season is kicking into full gear, 
And if you're looking for the perfect gift for your team, buy my book. Improv is no joke. Using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life. You can find it on Amazon.com and on BarnesandNoble.com. If you'd like to purchase more than five books, please email me for volume discounts at peter at petermargaritas.com. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Bill Sheridan. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Pete Margaritas here, and today I'm honored to have as my guest Bill Sheridan, the Chief Information Officer at the Maryland Association of CPAs, and a not maybe a longtime friend, but a, a friend over the years that we've met each other. So, Bill, first and foremost, thank you for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to sit down and talk to me. Oh, my pleasure, Pete. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. I'm looking forward to this because uh, you are the chief information officer. I tell you what, instead of me doing it, why don't you give the audience a little bit of your background? Because you could probably do it a lot better than I can. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the, the key word in that phrase is information. So what I've been doing my whole life basically is just uh, informing people. I was I started out as a journalist, gosh, 1990, I think. I graduated from college and I went right into print journalism, newspapers. I was a reporter for a while, and then I worked my way up to editors for some smaller papers and kind of advanced up the line, as a lot of journalists do, going from smaller papers to bigger papers, and eventually ended up at a a daily newspaper in um, Gastonia, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. And I, I ended up taking the sports editor position there. And that was right around... 95, 96, I think, the internet was just starting to uh, really heat up as a a thing that a lot of people were paying attention to. And um, newspapers were really trying to figure out, okay, where do we fit in with this new online space? And uh, um, so we were playing around with that at the newspaper. And then in the meantime, the guy who used to have the sports editor job before me, he moved on to this outfit in uh, Fort Lauderdale called CBS Sportsline. This was one of the first sports-only websites that was out there. And he took an editor's position there, and they, they were just ramping up. He was the, one of the first waves of hires down there. And when they decided to expand, he gave me a call and said, you want to give this internet thing a try? And so I, <laughs> I said, sure, <laughs> let's roll with it. Um, so I moved down there and I worked for, uh, it, it was, it, it's now CBS sports.com. CBS bought them out, but, it, but at the time it was sportsline.com. And, and, uh, I worked there for a couple of years, uh, great job, became immersed in kind of that internet publishing culture and liked it, liked it a lot. And, uh, the one thing we didn't like my wife and I, uh, we were engaged at the time we moved down there and, and it didn't take us long to realize that we, we, uh, we're not big fans of South Florida. We're not hot weather people at all. <laughs> My wife likes to say we spent two years down there and about 18 months trying to get out. So um, so that brought me up to Baltimore. I, I, I took a job uh, downtown Baltimore, again, kind of an internet-based job as an electronic marketing manager for a company that it's that no longer there, as a matter of fact. And I stayed with them for about a year before the uh, uh, position at the MACPA came up. So I, I, I liked the folks that I talked to at MACPA. It seemed like a, it was a small group, but... Um, it really seemed like a family, and I, I, I had no idea at all about anything that had to do with the CPA profession. I came <laughs> in cold, and uh, but just learned from 
one of the best, Tom Hood, um, who kind of took me under his wings and showed me the ropes. And um, so I, I started out at the MACPA as their electronic marketing manager. They they were looking they were looking to this was a brand new position at the time. They and they wanted to they wanted somebody in there who was going to help uh, develop a series of electronic newsletters and and uh, help you know reorganize web content and things like that. So. So that's what I started out in, and um, since then it's just kind of morphed into this uh, this chief communications officer position. But it's it's the same thing that I've always done, you know. Even back when I was reporting for for newspapers, it's it's just finding relevant information and presenting it to um, the people that we do business with. And so I'm instead of doing that at newspapers, I'm now doing that at the MACPA for, for our members and for anyone else who happens to be reading or listening or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's just, you know, I, I like to say I'm, I'm doing the same thing that I was trained to do in college. It's just how I do it has, has transformed itself over the years. So, And you're getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I've been with the MACPA now for 16 years. It's, it's turned into a, a career, which is cool. <laughs> so you're, you work for the MACPA. And we're having this conversation, and you are located where right now? I am. I am in St. Louis, Missouri. It's we also call it the Midwestern branch of the MACPA. Uh, I've, I've been telecommuting from my home in St. Louis for a um, little over ten years now. Uh, my wife is from St. Louis mm-hmm. originally, and at the time that we were thinking of moving back, we we had a daughter. She was uh, uh, my wife's parents' only grandchild at the time, and and. Moved back to be closer to family, and uh, you know, I when we decided we we were going to move back, I I really looked hard for a new job out here and couldn't find anything that I I loved nearly as much as what I was doing. So I just walked into Tom and Jackie's office one day and said, you know, I'm moving to St. Louis. Can I keep my can I keep my job? And they said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out how how to make it work. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a job that I can pretty much do from anywhere. That that helps. Um, but telecommuting has, has been great. Um, it's worked out wonderfully for me and, uh, I, I really enjoy what I do and where I am. Uh, and the reason why I brought that up, because one, that's cool. Uh, it's somewhat of a long commute. You know, anytime you have to get on an airplane, doesn't matter if it's Southwest or whatever, there's always some hiccups that can occur. But if you think back to when you were in college, nobody was telecommuting. Yeah, I mean that, that, that concept, and, and and actually, uh, last week I was in Tennessee, and there was a gentleman there who is the CFO of an engineering company and part owner, and he lives in Nashville, and the company is located in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And think about so let's go down the technology path because there was two topics I wanted to talk about: technology and social media. But let's talk about technology and how technology has evolved from one just the ability to do this as well as the rate of information. I mean, there's so much information out there and, and, and we as CPAs and business leaders have access to more information now than we ever have as this thing has evolved. What are you seeing on the horizon out there? I mean, we have come a long way in the profession. We, we're not using 10 keys as much anymore. We're using Excel. We've got, you know, I ask, I ask audiences, if you think about technology, how many of you right now have more than one monitor on your desk? Mm-hmm. A lot of hands go up. And I've, I've had one gentleman say he's had four monitors. <laughs> and, and then I went, but do you remember when you just had one monitor that had a back on it about a foot, foot and a half, and when you picked it up, you had to go get a hernia surgery because <laughs> it weighed so much. So, 
you're you're working from St. Louis, Maryland Association of CPAs. Two thousand. It's been six. You've been doing this for ten years. Been with them for sixteen years. So you get the profession. What do you see on the horizon as as information as technology? I, a, a lot of change, Pete. I tell you, it's 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 going to get crazy, and it's going to get crazy really, really fast. And I mean, you you mentioned it before when we were talking about telecommuting and how it wasn't long ago that nobody was doing it, and and the reason that more and more people are doing it now is that the, the technology has finally evolved to the point where it makes it really, really easy to have conversations like this. And uh, um, and the reason that that technology is advancing has everything to do with. Um, I, I boil it down to two words, Moore's Law. And I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Moore's Law, but uh, for those who are listening who aren't, it's uh, um, developed by Gordon Moore. He was the co-founder of Intel. Um, actually, this he, he developed this law in 1965, which I think was like two or three years before he even founded Intel. At the time, it was more of a theory, he said, and, I, and I'm simplifying it here, but it, it, it's basically that the, the processing speeds of computers would double roughly every two years or so. And that's held true from 65 to, to today. And most people see it holding true for, for, uh, for years to come, as a matter of fact. And that's, that's not linear change. That's exponential change. Okay. Doubling every year, two becomes four, becomes eight, becomes 16. And, and it, 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 it's hard to visualize what that exponential change kind of looks like. But I've, I've read a book recently it's called the the future of professions, and it was by I've got a copy of it here. It's by um, uh, Daniel and Richard Sussman, S U S S K I N D. The future of the professions, and um, it's not for the um, the faint of heart if you're a, a CPA, because he lays out a, a kind of scary future um, for for what the professions might look like. But anyway, at, at one point in this book, he he kind of visualizes what that exponential change really looks like. I want to just read something to you because it blew me away. He says, to appreciate the power of exponential growth, consider the following thought experiment. Start by imagining just an ordinary sheet of paper, regular, nondescript, ordinary sheet of paper. Now imagine repeatedly folding the sheet in half. Okay, so you fold it over once and that's that doubles its width, right? Fold it over a second time and now it's four times as, as, as thick as it used to be. After four folds, it will be as thick as a credit card, he says. Now this is not particularly spectacular. If it could be folded 11 times, which it can't, by the way, I think <laughs> people have done experiments saying that most you can fold anything, I think is seven times. But, um, but if you could fold it 11 times, it would be as tall as a can of Diet Coke. And if you, you could fold it 10 more times, it would be taller than Big Ben, the tower in London, right? Not the Steelers quarterback. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. No, the tower, after a further 10 folds, it would reach into outer space. 12 more folds, it would reach the moon. And if you could fold this single piece of paper 100 times, it would create a wad over 8 billion light years in thickness. Now that's... That's what exponential growth does for you. And that's what Moore's Law has done for us technology-wise, right? I mean, we had slow growth in technology early on, but, but we're at that point now where we're reaching outer space and the moon and, and light years in thickness as far as, as, far as technology goes. And it's, it's creating some – it's doing more than giving us really kind of cool gadgets to play with. It's fundamentally changing everything. I mean – you know, my, my daughter's getting ready to, she's 14, she's going to get her driver's permit next year. 
probably four or five years after that, you know, she may go out and buy her first car and it'll probably be a, a, a driverless car, you know, or not long after that. So, I mean, things, things are, are changing radically and, and that are changing for, for CPAs as well. There was a, a study that came out from uh, Oxford University, I think, last year or the year before. And they, what the purpose of the study was they, they were trying to determine uh, what the odds were that certain professions were going to be completely automated within the next 20 years. Tax, tax preparation. Right. Right there at the top of the list. About 99% chance that within the next 20 years, tax prep will be a completely automated function. Accounting and auditing was around 93.5% chance. So Moore's Law is having a huge impact on how, how our profession operates. And, uh, you know, we're, we're to the point now where we can't rely on continuing to do the same things that we've always done, the things that we were trained to do years and years and years ago, because that stuff's going to be going away. So the question then becomes, how do we continue to be relevant and add value to our clients' lives when we get to that point? That what we've always done is is kind of commoditized and automated, and and uh, you know I think it comes down to figuring out how we can do the things that machines quite are ready to do themselves yet. You know, so it's a it's a scary time for a lot of folks, but I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for for CPAs who kind of have that future focus and are positioning themselves now to do the things that machines won't won't be able to do. I want to challenge you on something. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. Uh, and I'll even say there's two other books that address the same thing. The Second Machine Age, which came out maybe five or six years ago, starts talking about Moore's Law and, and exponential growth. And then last year, Jeff Colvin, uh, managing editor of Fortune, published a book called Humans Are Underrated. Same thing. Talked a lot about IBM Watson. And we can talk about the, the KPMG, IBM uh, agreement on cognitive computing as it relates to their auditing uh, practice. But I hear 20 years, I hear, you know, 20 years, 90. I, can, I, I truly believe that it's not going to take 20 years. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think you're right. I keep saying it in some of my sessions, and one person came up to me afterwards and said, okay, I'm going to take you up on your bet. I said, I think Excel will be extinct. In five years, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the and that, that's a, a point that they make in this book, the future of the professions. That a lot of folks try to you know predict what's going to happen in the future based on the technology that we have today, right? And they can't really kind of wrap their brains around this the things transforming so completely, but. The point that they're missing is that the technology is going to transform itself first. So we're going to have technology that we can't even possibly fathom in in five years or so. Mm -hmm. That is going to change our future view even that much more. When we when we get to the point where we we've got tools that will allow us to do the unimaginable, then suddenly that becomes easier to to imagine. You know what I'm saying? So so take cognitive computing, the IBM Watson. Uh, example where you know he, he beat the guy in chess, beat the, uh, beat the guy in Jeopardy. Uh, they dumped tens of thousands of cookbooks, came up with a recipe that's never been done before and edible. The legal profession's using healthcare's using it, this computing, and now the accounting profession 
is using it with the deal that KPMG and IBM made earlier in 2017, in March 2017, where they're bringing cognitive computing to the KPMG auditing practice, where the CEO of KPMG said, we'll be able to audit and review many more transactions than we've ever been able to do before. Right, right, yeah. So why do I need a lot of my auditing staff? And suddenly, and suddenly this stuff starts to hit a little close to home, right? I mean, we, we, we've kind of been playing around the edges of this technology stuff here for the last few years and thinking we've got all kinds of time to, to kind of ramp up, but time's up. I mean, you know, <laughs> when you talk about, you know, IBM Watson was, was kind of a fun little thing to watch when it was beating Ken Jennings at Jeopardy and, and uh, um, Gary Kasparov at chess, but, but all of a sudden it's got real real world implications for what we do right now. So it's, um, uh, yeah, it, there's no time left to, to, you know, hope that this stuff is going to go away because it's, it's here. But we're, we're, we're talking about the, you know, to some degree, the CPA profession, because that's what you're working in. That's what I'm part of. And, and you and I both know the P in CPA stands for procrastination <laughs> and we have to quit procrastinating or or as I hear, well, this is the way we used to do it. And that to me says that we can't do it that way anymore. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I understand the, the fear factor with, with a lot of folks. And you're right. The CPA profession has been notoriously kind of slow on the adoption curve. I see what I see happening there is um, that, you know, you're not going to change a lot of people's minds on this stuff. They're 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 gonna they're gonna kind of coast until they can retire and not have to worry about it anymore, and that's that's fine. That what's going to happen is you you're going to see a tie in here between technology and demographics, where the old guard, the 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 boomers, they're getting ready to retire um, and move out, and coming in to replace them. Not necessarily the Gen Xers. There's not nearly enough Gen Xers to take the place of the retiring Boomers, but they're going to. You're going to have to start ramping up the leadership skills of, of Millennials, and then right on their heels, we're already seeing um, Generation Z start. You know, they're they're moving into the later years of college now, and they'll be entering the workforce before too long. And they work a completely different way than than the folks who are leading this profession are right now. So, at one point, everything is just going to flip and. This profession will be working in a completely different way than, than what, what leaders of the profession are working in right now. So I, I truly believe that when that leadership shift happens, there's going to be a whole lot of changes that happen from within the profession, just from things like how, how we physically work. Our workspaces are going to look completely different and, and how we you know, choose to use new technologies. These younger folks who are going to be leading the profession in a very short period of time, are, they're completely comfortable with, with moving from new stuff to new stuff to new stuff because that's just the way life is for them, right? So you know, the, the, the pushback is, is fine and it's not unexpected. And and very soon it's it's going to shift to to we're going to see a profession that's much more capable of embracing new stuff just because of the shift in leadership. I I think that's what's going to happen anyway. So what do you think the key skill this this will require those in our profession to have? What's what's that key skill that they're going to need to develop in order to be in that leadership role, in order to be able to embrace and, and the technology change and the profession change? There's a ton of different, I mean, Tom and I banter back and forth 
a lot about the key skills that we're going to need going forward. And the one that I, I have kind of latched onto is actually, it was written by a, a Robert Safian, I think his name is. He's the editor of Fast Company Magazine. He wrote an article uh, not too long ago in which he said that the most important skill going forward is going to be the ability to learn new skills because things are changing so rapidly and we're, the people who come out on top are going to be the ones who um, are embrace change and have this mindset that uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to continually update my skill set so that I remain relevant going forward. no matter how my, my work, my job, my, my office changes, I'm going to have the skills that I need in order to, to stay relevant. So I, that to me more than anything is just to be, to have that mindset of, uh, there's another guy, Warren Berger, wrote a book called uh, A More Beautiful Question. He, he calls it serial mastery, but it's the same thing. It's, it's just this concept that I'm going to be completely flexible and, and understand that my job, what, what I do right now is not necessarily what I'm going to be doing five years or two years or 18 months from now. Uh, and I have to be ready to change in order to stay relevant. So, so uh, allow me just to have a, just a little bit of fun, because I, I agree with everything you're saying. But my ears heard it in a different way. Mm-hmm. My my ears heard that we have to be much more adaptable. Mm-hmm. You said flexibility, adaptable. I think you know where I'm going with this. We have to be better improvisers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, but I mean that, that's true. What what I what I hear is. We have to be more adaptable. We have to be uh, embrace change. We have to be flexible. We have to be able to think on our feet, react quickly. Oh, by the way, that's called improvisation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuff you do applies perfectly to this. I mean, just to be able to to riff off of somebody else. I mean, we're, we're all going to need that skill going forward. You know, I mean, I think that's very true. I I I, I think it is, and and I'm, and I know that whatever episode this is. Uh, going forward, because I haven't quite finished the scheduling of it, I, and it the, the ones, the episodes behind me, I know everybody, I keep saying this, but it, it, it does apply in about everything that we do, especially when we relate it to change, change in technology. Because if we can't adapt to the changing landscape, we're now not relevant at all. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the change is going to happen. It's you, Whether we like it or not, this, this stuff is coming. It's just a, a question of, are we going to, you know, are we going to do anything about it? Um, yeah, uh, we work real closely at, at, uh, at the MACPA with a, a, a futurist, actually. His name is Daniel Burris, who talks about this stuff a lot. And he breaks it down into to hard trends and soft trends, right? Hard, hard trends are the things that we know are going to happen, okay? And there, there are things that you can identify. You can actually predict the future uh, based on things that you know are going to happen, the the uh, the iPhone seven is going to come out next month. Okay. I know that's going to happen. Okay. You know, what, what's, what's the iPhone seven going to look like? Is it going to be more powerful or less powerful than what I got right now? And what am I going to be able to do with that power? So there are things that we can, we can adjust how we work based on some things that we know are going to happen. Obviously iPhone is kind of a simplified uh, example of that, but, but the point is, you know, we can identify certain things that we know are going to happen. Soft trends, on the other hand, things that might happen. So he, Dan Burris likes to say, you know, change, change is a hard trend. It's going to, stuff is going to happen whether we like it or not. The soft trend is whether or not we do anything about it. So that, that's it. I mean, and we all have that choice. You don't, I'm not here to tell anybody that you have to do the stuff uh, because you don't. 
but you also don't have to stay in business either, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it, and, and again, I, I, I know what I'm sounding like is this, this doomsday, you know, just <laughs> the sky is falling type of thing. And I, and I, I don't want to make it sound like um, the world is coming to an end. There's a lot of opportunity here for folks who, you know, adapt, take that mindset and kind of learn to, to roll with the changes. Another friend of the MACPA, his name is Reggie Henry. He is uh, he's like the chief technology guy at um, it's the American Society of Association Executives. Which ASA. is, it's ASAE, which is basically for, for those who don't know what it is. It's like the Association for Associations. <laughs> um, there is there is an association for everything out there. Um, but he likes to say that our job is to make the future more comfortable for our members. And he was talking to associations at that time. But I think that applies to CPAs, too. I think, I think our job is to make the future more comfortable for our clients and customers because they're dealing with the same stuff that we are. Right. Right. And and if if we can get there first, if we can figure out. Uh, how to become a little bit more future ready and then show our clients and customers how to do that as well. Um, you know, our role is, as, as trusted business advisors, just get stronger. So, and, 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 and the bottom line of all of that is we have to become better communicators with our clients. We, we, we have to understand their complete business, what they do, just not from the financial side of it. I think that's where a lot of this technology is going to take us because we don't have to we don't have to crank it. We have to interpret it, apply it, and become that trusted business advisor. And I think I think that's a wonderful opportunity that's sitting out there. And I, I, I think the challenge is for Gen Z, or as Carl Ulrichs likes to call this next generation Gen Wi-Fi, because <laughs> <laughs> they've you know they've been Googled since birth. That uh, you know the, the the ability to embrace it and the ability to look forward. And I I think we I but I we you know you said you we can't tell people what to do, but I think we there's some cases we need to strongly suggest that we start preparing those Gen Zs who are still in college, providing them with part of that curriculum, these skills that we see that are going to be needed by the time they graduate and think about accounting curriculums. Mm-hmm. Are we providing those skill sets? Right. Uh, and I think that's a challenge for the profession as it, as it relates to academia is building the communication skills within the curriculum. So when the, when they do graduate, they're a little bit better prepared. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen research after research after research point to the same thing that the, 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 the skills that we're going to need going forward are, are much more geared to, you know, the, the so-called soft skills. Tom, Tom Hood, my boss, likes to call them hard skills because there's, yes. there's, there's nothing soft about them. But, you know, communication, collaboration, strategic learning and, and, and leadership and, and those types of things are, are really what we're, what we're going to have to know going forward. I forget who said it. There was a, a future I saw speak recently who predicted that college freshmen this year, the, the incoming college freshman class, just going back to school today, half of what they learn in their first year is going to be obsolete by the time they graduate. Yeah. So uh, the skills that we need are, are, are way different than the skills that, that um, previous generations have, have had to bring to the, to the workforce. So yeah, it's, it's education. You know, we could go on and on about <laughs> got to transform itself too. So yeah, it's, I mean, Moore's law is doing, doing that to everybody. So, 
And so let, let, let's change the conversation into a different direction because you are, in my eyes, for a long time, been the social media king of the profession. I, I mean, you, you, you've, I, I mean, how many blog posts and stuff? How many blogs do you do you write? And all the stuff that you do on social media between Facebook, between Twitter, between LinkedIn, between yada, 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 yada. And there's a lot of, and even I would say it's those Gen X, late baby boomers are going, I, I still don't get the concept of, of social media. I, I, I don't see the ROI. I was driving business. So let's have a conversation about social media. Sure. What's your thoughts? What, what's, I mean, what, what, do you, what are you using now? What's your new social media tool that you might be exploring? I know I, social media has only been around for what, 10, 12 years or something like that. But and I'm already, so I'm already sounding old. <laughs> by saying that I, I got to figure out this Instagram thing, you know, because I, that's one thing that I don't use a whole lot of is Instagram. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, potential there. I mean, we, we started out 2006, I think we, uh, we wrote our first blog post. Um, we've now got two blogs up and running and, and contribute to both of those quite frequently. And that's where a lot of our content creation starts is with our blogs. And then we'll start moving them out through the other social channels. Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn are the three main ones that we've been using. But, you know, we're open to exploring uh, pretty much anything. Our, our, our philosophy really has been, you know, we need to be wherever our members are and reach them in, in whatever way that they uh, like to be reached. So we're, we're, we're trying to we're trying to do that across all, all the all the different platforms, and 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 I really think that, that it's um, that it's key from a communication point of view uh, nowadays, just to be just to stay connected in in every possible way that you possibly can. I mean, there's there's so that that's really been our philosophy. We're we're very much a throw it against the wall and see what sticks kind of operation, and uh, um, which is great. Tom gives us a lot of leeway to try new things. Uh, podcasting. We had a podcast for for uh, a couple of years early on, and we kind of let it die. And we're net, we we don't have we didn't at the time. I think we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We didn't have the resources available to us that uh, are there now from a podcasting point of view from all these producers that are out there that make it really really easy. So we're thinking of of uh, you, you know you you kind of kicked our button in that and got us the gear and thinking you know maybe we need to revisit our podcasting and, and see if there's um, some value there from to stay in touch with our members and, and communicate information to them in that way as well. So we're, we'll, we'll try anything once and many, and when we have, we've, we've tried a lot of things that we've just, you know, we don't have the time to do that or, or didn't really, it didn't really gain any traction, but, but we love, we love blogging. Um, we've gotten a lot of uh, success with that. Uh, we, we get a lot of engagement with our members on Facebook, on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. We use uh, extensively to communicate, you know, breaking news of the day and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a great communication tool for us. So let's talk about blogging real quick. Tell the audience the name of the two blogs that you that the MACPA puts out. The, the first one that we launched was called CPA Success, and, and that's you can find that just at cpasuccess.com. Two blogs, one for each of the, the organizations that are affiliated with the MACPA. There's the Maryland Association of CPAs blog, which is CPA Success. That'll go there. And we lately, we've been using that um, as, as much more of a kind of a news um, filtration type of thing, breaking news of the day, what 
what kind of new standards are coming down, what do our members need to know today, that type of thing. And then we have a, a, a learning affiliate called the Business Learning Institute, which I know you're very familiar with. You, yeah, I've heard of them before. <laughs> and Peter is one of our uh, BLI instructors and thought leaders. And uh, so we have a, a BLI uh, website, which is blionline.org. And we have a blog there that focuses more on those those hard skills that we talked about earlier, kind of the future of leadership and and where we think a lot of stuff that we've been talking about for the last half hour. What's what kind of things are impacting the direction that this profession is going in, and what do our members need to know, and and uh, what they what should they be paying attention to, that type of thing. So th- those two blogs are are um, what we've been focusing on. And I've been doing more writing lately for the BLI blog, actually, than I have for, for CPA success. So, so yeah, those are the, those are the two types of things that we've, we've really been focusing on is, is what's happening right now that our members need to know about and, and what might be happening down the road that they should be paying attention to as well. So, so the analytics on your, uh, on the two of your blogs, are you reaching an audience outside of the state of Maryland? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, would I, I, I'm guessing that it might be true that that more people are aware of our blog outside of Maryland than they are inside the state. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure, but we do. We have we have a lot of subscribers from from outside of Maryland, and I think that is a testament to the work that Tom Hood does. He's he's nationally recognized as one of the the top influencers in the profession, and he does a lot of writing for our blog. So. You know, he's out there talking up the blogs to to folks uh, across the country. So I'm not surprised that we've 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 kind of built an audience, um, a national audience out there, rather than just in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. So take that concept of a national audience and the ability to reach that national audience through a through a blog, and let's add let's let's add a little bit to it. And when you do the podcast, now you've got a greater opportunity to get a larger audience globally. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just use myself as an example. I think to date, over just about two months, I've had about 700 downloads uh, of, of the episodes, and I'm in six or seven countries. Now, that audience may be small in those countries, which they are, but I'm in that country. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that additional exposure. And, and I think the one of the reasons why I went down the podcast is because I thought everybody knew what a podcast was. I thought I was on the tail end of it. And, and I agree, when you guys started, you guys were early adopters. But from what I've read from, from those who do it and I've talked to, it's still, it hasn't even gotten to anywhere near that point. It's still pretty fresh and new. And this micro media, which is, this is really just a radio show, but it's tailored to a specific audience that you have access at any time that you want. Sure, sure. That's the great thing about all, all forms of, of social media, in my mind, is that it really kind of well, it does a couple of things really, really well. And to continue this conversation, one of the things it does is it, it's a great self-branding tool, right? Um, it really levels the playing field in a lot of ways. I mean, folks like yourself can can um, build your own brand on a global scale and reach a global audience, which you know we didn't have the tools to do that with before. We, you know, small firms now can use social media to to search for the brightest and bre- uh, brightest best and brightest new talent to come work for their firm 
uh, and compete with the big four when it comes to hiring and re- recruitment and retention and things like that. So, so we've got some really powerful tools at our disposal now that, that we didn't have before that have really kind of leveled the playing field from a, from a branding and, and recruitment standpoint. So that's one thing uh, that it does. The other thing on, on a much more personal level, I mean, this goes back to what we talked about earlier about the, the most important skill being the ability to learn new skills. Social media is a fantastic way to, to ramp up what you learn. I mean, a lot of people will complain about the, the information overload factor, like where there's just too much information flying around. How can I possibly pay attention to it all and absorb it, anything? And But think about how we use our social networks, right? We follow people that we think are going to be adding value to our lives, right? We don't intentionally go out and follow a bunch of yahoos or throwing up nonsense. We, we, right. you know, I follow you because I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get some really thought provoking stuff. And, and when we do that, we've got a network of folks that they're giving us really valuable information and that lets us ignore all the other stuff that's going on around there. So, so I think it was Clay Shirky. He's a, a professor of new media at New York university. He, he, kind of answered that information overload question. He said, our problem really isn't information overload. It's filter failure, right? We don't, <laughs> we don't have the right filters in place. And, and social media really, in my mind, is one of those really great filters that lets us zero in on the stuff that matters to us and ignore everything else. So that's, that's what I love about it more than anything is it really lets me learn from some really smart people. And I think that's really, really important today. Because it's content driven, and as you were, I was. There's a firm in in Columbus called Rain Associates, and it's, it's a regional firm. And a few months ago, uh, earlier this year, they started a podcast, and it's called Unsuitable. And actually, they were just featured recently in Columbus Business First. And I think the headline read, podcast, I think this is the craziest idea we've ever thought about. But what they've done is they've created this media outlet where they will talk about specifically implement uh, RevRec, tax issues, things along those lines, as well as other things that they think their clients and or prospects would be interested in hearing about, which to another degree is, you know, a, a newsletter. So if you don't podcast it, how are you getting content out to your audience to help them make their lives a little bit easier or get them up to speed a lot quicker? And I think when we think of social media, we go Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, but podcasting, writing newsletters, because it is media and getting it out to that client or prospect base goes a long way as well. And, and, and actually trying to get published in almost any type of magazine. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I, we talk to a lot of folks throughout the profession about this stuff, and, and it, it, I'm always a, a little bit amazed every time we talk about social media, how many of them still either haven't been paying attention or just, you know, don't really grasp the concept. But it's still, it's still a fairly new concept for a lot of folks in the profession. It's time to, to, to pay closer attention and, and to learn how to use these tools in a way that's going to, you know, help you build relationships and connect to to your clients and customers because 7 billion people are, you know, what was it? About a billion people? Well, there's 7 billion people in the world, but there's like a billion people on Facebook. Like, well, I think it's actually 1.5 billion now, 400, 500,000 or four and five million, I think on, on LinkedIn. I mean, the numbers are staggering, you know, and, and all it says to me is that that's where your clients and customers are, right? That's where a lot of the conversation is happening. Don't you want to be part of it? Should you, should you not be a part of that conversation? So I think the answer, obviously, in my mind anyway, is yes, um, because there are a lot of benefits uh, for, for those folks who, who can figure out how to do it right. 
So let's go back to the generations, huge millennial generation. Millennials, they're not coming out of college anymore. Millennials, do you know this guy? He's a millennial, Mark Zuckerberger. Okay, yes. Last year uh, on CNBC, they said that millennials contributed over $2 trillion to consumer spending. Mm -hmm. So if millennials are on social media and they've got that type of consumer spending and their future clients, shouldn't we be out there part of that conversation. I think the hard part is is finding that auditorium that we have our target audience in. Yeah, right. It's it's just finding the one that that creates the most traction for you. And that means that means trying a, a little bit uh, of all of them, you know, um, dipping your toes into to all of them and, and seeing what works with I mean, you know your clients and customers better than than I ever will. So where are they? Where how are they spending their time? Um, what's the best way to reach them? And maybe it's more on a case by case basis. You know, I've I've got uh, I've got a, a friend that I'm friends with her on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And I know that if I send her a message on Twitter, I'm never going to hear from her. But I know that if I send her a direct message on Facebook, I'll hear from her like. 30 seconds later. So, no, it's it's just finding the the one that works best for you and and and, and going with that. So. And sometimes it's even asking your staff, what are you on? Who do you follow? And should I be following who you're following? It's almost like, let's flip the classroom a little bit because where they're getting their exposure as well. Yep, yep. Absolutely. So here's what, here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to revisit this conversation in about a year. Okay. And I, I want to see how far we have come in just that year. But uh, before I cut you loose, I, I didn't tell you this before, as before we started because I, I want to kind of spring this on you. If you haven't been listening to my podcast already, uh, at the end uh, of most of them, I, I like to do a 10 quick questions. Just something that so the audience will get to know you just a little bit better. And some of these are softballs. Uh, some of them might require a little bit more thought. And hopefully, <laughs> there's a few in here that will really make you laugh. Okay. <laughs> First one, St. Louis. you live in St. Louis. St. Louis Cardinals or the Cincinnati Reds? Cincinnati Reds. Way, I know that. But why you in St. Louis, you were in Baltimore. You're in, how did you become a Reds fan? That's uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a mutt when it comes to my sports team. So I was born and raised uh, just south of Buffalo, New York, um, where there were yeah. I mean we kind of followed the Buffalo sports teams. But long story short, uh, Cincinnati Reds. Um, I uh, I an aunt and an uncle who lived in Dayton, Ohio, just outside of Cincinnati, and they they got married in October of '76, and I was the ring bearer in their in their wedding. <laughs> Um, and of course, that was the year the, the Reds swept the Yankees in the World Series, and everyone was just going nuts in Dayton over that. So I just kind of got swept up in the whole thing, and I've been a Reds fan ever since. So, and just for the audience, I think it's been—I can't believe it's been two years ago. Once I found out you're a Reds fan, I flew out to St. Louis. We went to a Reds Cardinals game in St. Louis, and then a few weeks later, you came to Cincinnati. Absolutely, that was my first trip to Great American Park. So. And, that, and that was my first trip to Bush Stadium. Yeah, PC or Mac. 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 Okay, it hasn't always been that way. I was a PC guy for years and years and years, and I slowly kind of, I think I bought an iPad first and then <laughs> got my iPhone, and then I was like, all right, I'm hooked. So so we're, we're a Mac shop now. Yep. Mac and cheese or just plain spaghetti? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing like spaghetti and marinara for me, so I'll, I'll stick with that. So what is your go-to song that you listen to when you need to get motivated? Wow. Um, 
That's a hard one. I'm a, I'm a big music guy. I know. And my What's funny is my daughter is huge into music too. So she's turned me on to a lot of new stuff, which is, there's a lot of really great new music out there. I, I always say that if I had to spend the rest of my life on a desert island and could only listen to one song, it would probably be Born to Run by Springsteen. But. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'd answer the same question. It wouldn't be Born to Run. It'd be Badlands. There you go. That's, okay. and, and actually before this started, uh, I was listening to Badlands getting pumped up. Now, I will say that I went to your Facebook site mm-hmm. and you posted a music video for my new second song, go-to song, Up and Up by Coldplay. Yeah, I I, I, I bought this off their new album. I'm a big, I know there's some people who would hold this against me, but I'm a big Coldplay fan. And um, it's on their latest album and I hadn't, I don't think I'd listened to the entire album from start to finish. So this is the last song on the album. And uh, I heard it on like Google music, like a playlist that my wife was listening to. And they played that song. And I was like, wow, that's really, that's, that sounds like Coldplay. And I, I, it, it's fantastic. I love that song. So. It, is, it is fantastic. What's your all time favorite movie? Wow. Um, it's a rainy day in St. Louis. You're flipping through the channels and it pops up and you can't, move to the next channel. I, I love uh, like old timey movies. Um, uh, I, I love Citizen Kane. Okay. I love the sting. Uh, there are certain movies that I, if I'm channel flipping and I, I see it, I know I'm going to stop and spend the next two hours watching it. Uh, a few good men is one of them. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll watch that movie every time it's on. So cool. Um, my uh, birdcage. I love birdcage, big birdcage uh, fan, big Robin Williams fan, but I, if, if I see Shawshank Redemption, I don't care if it's halfway through the movie. I I, I can't I can't get past it. That, that's my night right there. So, yep. so so when you travel to Baltimore, you're in Baltimore a lot. What's your favorite restaurant to go to? Oh wow! Because um, there's a lot of good ones in Baltimore. Yeah, there are. The one we end up going back to uh, most often is a place called Michael's, <laughs> uh, a little north of Baltimore, where they make some fantastic crab cakes. What I really, what I like to do more than anything is is grab Tom, uh, Tom Hood or, or Skip Flacco, our, our our CFO, and just have them take me out to dinner. So there's a million really great just dives down near the water yeah. in the little little out of the way places that you wouldn't ever think would have great food, and you walk in and it's just the most amazing thing you've ever had in your life. So. Michael's is the go-to place, but I, I, what I love more than anything is just trying something new because there's, there's so, so much good food in Baltimore. Oh my gosh, there really is. And actually, I've been to Michael's before, and you're right, wonderful crab cakes. But if you're a fan of the Food Net- Network and Guy Fieri, Triple D, uh, they've got whole episodes on Baltimore, and a lot of it's down the Inner Harbor. There's just Greek restaurants not in the Inner Harbor, but just around called Sip and Dine or something like that. I've been dying to go to it. Just and everybody I talk to says it's just absolutely wonderful. My my boss in Florida when I was when I was in Florida getting ready to move up here, and I told him I was moving to Baltimore. He's like, "Oh my God, you're going to weigh 400 pounds." <laughs> <laughs> There's so much good stuff to eat up there, and it's true. All right, here's the next one. Who do you look more like, Mark or Scott Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that photo to show you. This. Um, I, I'm I'm the I'm the long lost third Kelly, the third of the Kelly triplets. Yeah, yeah. the astronauts. For those who don't know what we're talking about, the I was just at a conference a couple weeks ago, and Mark and Scott Kelly, the astronauts, were um, 
keynoting that that particular conference. Ball bald as a cue ball and and um, just very similar features and and there, they they gave they had an opportunity for folks to come and get their photos taken with them. So I'm sitting there between these these two guys and we look like we could be triplets. So yeah, I don't know. I'd have to, I guess I'd have to go with with Scott on that one. Yeah, I, I I I got that idea when I went out to your Facebook page and you had that as your cover. And I thought that was that was great. I know you're a big baseball fan. What's your favorite park to go visit? Uh, Camden Yards. And I haven't been to all of them, so there there might be one out there that that might be better. I mean, I've been to I've been to Wrigley, which is a great place. Uh, Bush Stadium is a great. The new Bush is a great place to see a game. But there's something about Camden Yards with the warehouse there and the in beyond uh, right field and just the whole atmosphere and the whole park opening up onto downtown. It's just a great place to see a game. And it is. Baltimore loves their Orioles, so I I love going back. <laughs> I know you travel a lot and you speak at a lot of different uh, conferences in different cities. What's your favorite city to visit on business? Wow. I could never live. It's nothing personal against the town. I could never live there in a million years, but I love going to visit New Orleans. It's, it, I just have so much fun when I'm down there. And not even on, we did the Bourbon Street thing for a while. There's this one bar way down at the end of Bourbon Street that had a great live band. Um, house band that we would always go to. But lately, we've been asking, you know, okay, where do the locals go to hear good music? And we found some really great... Tom Hood and I found this place up there one time. It was Wynton Marsalis's dad had his own band. And it was just this little place, like, on the second floor of this bar in a, a, a small room that seated maybe 50 people. And we just had a great... It was just a lot of fun. I'd never have not had a good time when I go to New Orleans. So it's just a great place to go visit. Oh, that's my favorite place. And for all the same reasons that, that you have, I could never live there. I'd probably get liver poisoning <laughs> uh, just because. But I love to go visit. I love the food. I love the music. I love the atmosphere. Yeah. So we'll, last, we'll wrap it up with the last one. This one, might, well, this one might be tough because the original question is, what book are you currently reading? <laughs> and, and, and is it Future of the Professions? Is that the current read? That one, no, I just finished that one uh, a few days ago. The, <laughs> the one, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say, actually. But I, so I get on the skip where I read two or three or four business books in a row, and I just have to stop and read something, some fast food for my mind. So I'm, I asked my daughter, what should I be reading? She's like, you, got, you haven't read the Harry Potter series yet, have you? So I'm, on, I'm, on, <laughs> I'm actually on the second Harry Potter book right now. I think it's called The Chamber of Secrets or something like that. So, oh, that's cool. Kind of fun. So now that's I was expecting. I was really expecting a business book, but that's that, that's that's kind of cool. That's a good idea because I I read a lot of business books as well and leadership books and stuff. And and I, I need to pick up a fast food for the brain type of, of type of book. There's a another one of those um, types of books that I just I did I, I I read it in quotes. I have actually a book on tape that I listened to on a long drive. But it's uh, name of the book was um, the answer to the riddle is me. And it's a it's a memoir about a guy. It's a fascinating story. But the backstory is he he was traveling overseas. He he woke up like he had passed out on this train platform. Complete amnesia. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know why he was there. Didn't have his passport. Had and it was just about his journey back to figuring out who who he was and what his life was. And it was just a fascinating story. It was just. That, that was a that was a, a fun book to read. That was a, a recommendation from a friend of mine, and um, that was another one of those books that you know I just needed to to kind of veg out and, and read something that, that didn't have to do with work, and, and that was, 
That's cool. Well, well, Bill, as always, I enjoy our conversations. I I can't thank you enough for spending time with me today. Uh, A lot of great information. Uh, I, I think a lot of great information for CPAs, but even bigger than that, a lot of great information for business leaders to think about uh, as technology continues to change and there's a lot of opportunity out there if we look at it as opportunity. So one, thank you for parting your knowledge. Always enjoy our conversations. It's been my pleasure, Peter. And I think that's a great idea. I would love to, to talk again in a year and, and see exactly where this stuff has come in, in that short period of time because chances are there's going to be something new rocking our world in, in just a couple months from now. So. But yeah, it's fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Now, that interview was packed full of great information. But I think one of the funnier things that Bill said was that he's a sports mutt. <laughs> he lives in St. Louis, but is a baseball fan of the Cincinnati Reds and an NFL fan of the Detroit Lions. And he follows his alma mater, the University of Buffalo. Throughout the interview, I kept thinking that Bill is a great improviser because of his adaptability skills. Think about it. He started out as a reporter who found his way to become the chief information slash communications officer at the Maryland Association of CPAs and who is one of the top 100 most influential people in the accounting profession. And once again, he's not a CPA and he's not an accountant. In my opinion, the way that he's accomplished this is through having an open mind and a thirst for learning. Those are some of the qualities that make a great improviser because improvisation is all about taking all of our knowledge and experiences and adapting to the current situation. You know, I think I should start my own Improv for Business Hall of Fame and Bill would be one of the early inductees. Now that was fun and a thought-provoking interview and I hope you enjoyed it. If so, I would greatly appreciate if you'd write a review on iTunes. I think Bill would appreciate it as well. In episode 26, I interview a former student of mine, Ashley Matthews, who's a tax manager for the accounting firm of Rain Associates in Dublin, Ohio. Until next time, use the principles of improvisation to help open your mind and increase your thirst for learning. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.